Okay, so uh, today's daf is Chavtet. With this, we will finish the third parak and enter into the fourth parak um, of Rosh Hashanah, the fourth and final parak. We pick up at the bottom of Kafchet Bet, three lines from the bottom, and um, the, we're in the middle of a discussion of a, a lot of issues, very central issues in other areas of Shas that Rava has introduced. Really, almost all of them. Um, one was the issue about mitzvah lehenos nitnu, whether is deriving benefit of fulfilling a mitzvah considered a violation of um, ish, uh, things that uh, 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 of deriving benefit from things you're not allowed to derive benefits from. You know, Rashi reads it as a broader theological statement about it's the purpose of mitzvot make our lives better, is the purpose of mitzvot to be a burden, an obligation, a responsibility, but really that's not the focus. The focus is whether it constitutes technical issue of Hana'ah. An interesting example would be, you can't get to Hana'ah from a dead body. Can you dissect a corpse in order to learn medical knowledge? And the answer is yes, because that is not considered Hana'ah, although you might say it's like invaluable Hana'ah. Hana'ah people pay tens of thousands of dollars for. But nevertheless, it's not a type of a physical or monetary benefit. So that was one discussion of mitzvah lav lehenostinu. Then it got into another discussion of whether you need kavanah to fulfill the mitzvah. Mitzvah strichot kavanah. All of the evidence in the Mishnayot is that you do need kavanah, presumably kavanah for the purpose that you acknowledge and are aware that this is a mitzvah act and you have kavanah to fulfill the mitzvah. Rabbi says you don't need kavanah. And he reinterprets all of that material to say that uh, we're talking about intent to do the action you're doing, but not necessarily intent to think of it as a mitzvah or to do it at, or to fulfill the mitzvah. And then we finally transitioned into a third point, which is the issue of baltosif and baltigra. If mitzvahs do not require kavanah, then um, it should be easy to transgress baltosif adding to a mitzvah, because automatically something will be defined as part of the mitzvah, and you will have expanded the mitzvah, like sleeping in a sukkah um, on shmini atzeret. And until now, the answer to that has been that if it's not during the time of the mitzvah, it doesn't count. And that led into a whole discussion of what's considering to be the time of the mitzvah. Now we continue this with, again, Rava trying to reconcile. So on the one hand, thank you so much, mitzvahs don't need kavanah. On the other hand, making it that you're not always going to be over on baltosis. So let's take a look, three lines on the bottom. Rava Amar, Rava says, Lot says, lo bai kavanah, look. To fulfill your obligation, if you do the mitzvah act, even without intent to do a mitzvah, um, the act is inten- in- intentional, but the, uh, the naming of it, labeling of it as a mitzvah is not your intent. Okay, you fulfill the obligation, you did the act. Lavor bari kavana. But to transgress baltosif, that you need intent. Because fundamentally, look, if I take the lulav on Sukkot, that's self-defines itself as the mitzvah of taking the lulav. Whether or not I have the intent, taking a lulav and an esrog and a hadzot and a rava on Sukkot is a mitzvah. But if I go ahead and in my other hand I'm holding onto a pencil, or let's say I even have a pencil, you know, you know, in the hand that I'm holding lulav and esrog, what makes that part of the mitzvah act that I now is over in Baltosis? There's nothing that makes holding a pencil and it's the act unless I say I want to do this as part of the taking of the lulav now I'm over in Baltosif but objectively that is not a mitzvah act so to make that part of the mitzvah act you need kavanah similarly if I sleep in a sukkah on Shemini Atzeret forget the issue we discussed the other day about zmano and not zmano what makes it that I've expanded the mitzvah of sukkah from a seven day mitzvah to an eight day mitzvah maybe I'm just sleeping outdoors because I like the outdoors so since there's nothing about that act that objectively makes it the mitzvah act, it's not sukkah, 
If I want to be over in Baltosif, want to. If I'm going to be over at Baltosif, I have to define it as a mitzvah act to incorporate it into the mitzvah. Very reasonable position. Let's say it's Loboy Kavana, but Labor, something that's not a mitzvah act, and you're going to incorporate it, and you're going to be over in Baltosif, Boy Kavana. That would only happen if you had intent to make it part of the mitzvah act. So the Kohen who added a fourth blessing, he says, I want to now give them an additional blessing. So I'm intending to have this as, you know, part of the blessing that I am giving the people. Okay, so that would be an example of, because he intended to say, hey, let me add one of my own, but he didn't say, now that I'm done with the mitzvah, let me just say, you know, and all good things should happen to you. He said, now let me add one of my own, you know, blessings to that. So he's expanding the mitzvah and he's incorporating something of his own. But that would be an example of kavanah. But the Gemara is going to ask, the case of the blood and the one application and four applications, that they're clearly, you're not trying to expand the mitzvah, and you're, there's an issue of baltosif. So that would seem to argue against that. Let's take a look. The two positions go together. If there's a supporting context that defines intrinsically the act of the mitzvah, right. I don't need kavanah. Right. And if there isn't a supporting scaffold, I do need exactly. kavanah. Exactly. Totally consistent. Exactly. Makes an enormous amount of sense. So now the Messiah says, Matan Damin de Rebbe Yoshua de Lavor, the Lobai Kavana. How about the pulling of the blood that Rebbe Yoshua says that that's a problem of, um, of Baltosif, and there's no kavanah there, and if that was an issue, Rebbe Yoshua could have answered back, there's no kavanah. Now, by the way, you could say that is exactly what Rabbi Eliezer answered back. You might remember yesterday, Rabbi Eliezer says, Lo nemer baltosis ego el kashul asmo. Remember that line? Mm-hmm. Baltosis is the only problem if you're doing it by itself and expanding it. Here, the reason you're expanding it is because it's mixed up with the other blood and you have no choice but to do four. So that might actually be what he meant. Okay, but the Gemara, she sees that as a sig- significant challenge, although this statement was a very logical position. El Rava, so Rava's going to modify it even further. Let's say slow by Kavana, like I said, to fulfill the obligation you don't need intent. Lavord, not to transgress, and the phrase Dove used a minute ago was, was supporting scaffolding, it matters what the context is. Bizmano, if you're expanding the mitzvah during the time of the mitzvah, low by kavana, then even without intent, something naturally gets incorporated into the mitzvah. So you did one and you made it four during the actual performance of the mitzvah. You expanded what that you expanded it, even without intent. You've now expanded the mitzvah. But shalobizmano, not in its time, like sleeping in a sukkah and shmini atzeret. There, there's nothing that defines it as part of the mitzvah. So that, by kavana, you would need intent. Okay, so zmano can incorporate it, and lobizmano, what you need to incorporate it is kavana, and that at least addresses some of the issues before, like the issue about the birchas kohenim, there was kavana, the dam, there wasn't kavana, but that was zmano, shmini atzeret, is not zmanos, no kavana. Now, by the way, that still does raise some questions, like, you know, really? So, like, if I'm taking my lulav and esrog, and I've got, like, my ring on my finger, so now my, it's bizmano, <laughs> lobai kavana, because I've now taken five, you know, another object. Or let's say, forget it, let's say I just take off my glasses for a second, and I'm holding my glasses as I'm taking it, right? So, lobai kavana? You know, am I being over? So it still, I think, is an interesting question of what kavana we mean. The same way before, we talked about kavana as kavana to do a mitzvah, right? So here, when we say lo by kavana, you don't need kavana to say, like, I am 
doing this as an expanded mitzvah. Like when you're doing the button dumim, you're not intending to expand the mitzvah. But you're still like intending to do the act. You're aware that you're doing the placing of blood in an expanded way, even though it's not for the sake of a mitzvah. So, you know, if I said I want to hold five objects in my hand, right, that would have incorporated, even if I wasn't doing it for the sake of expanding the mitzvah. So it's still like an interesting narrow line to walk what that means, lobai kavana. It doesn't mean everything automatically. I have no idea what that is. It doesn't mean automatically everything is part of the mitzvah. It just means that, oh, I think what? Anyway, it doesn't mean everything is part of the mitzvah. It just means that, it just means that the kavana to say, I'm trying to expand the mitzvah. I'm trying to make this part of the mitzvah act and a a bigger mitzvah act. That kavana you don't need. That kavana... That um, kavana you don't need if it is bismano. But again, it doesn't mean that everything you're doing bismano automatically becomes incorporated into the mitzvah. Okay, there was a question. Yeah. Yesterday we had the idea that kavana doesn't necessarily mean kavana to do the mitzvah, but kavana to, to do the act. Like when you say you have your glasses and you have your... It means right. you hold your glasses. Right. Well, I might have meant to hold... Right, that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to yeah. say. You know, Rav's kavana, when he says mitzvah slow by kavana, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. Yeah. When Rav says mitzvah slow by kavana, he means you don't need kavana to be yotze. Right? But you do need kavana to do the act. A similar lavor, bismano lo bai kavana, means if you're doing it bismano, you don't have to intend to do this as, as a mitzvah act. Okay, but you still have to intend to do it in a certain way that makes it incorporated into what you're doing. Right? So that's exactly the point I'm, I'm, I'm getting at. Okay, this is a fascinating issue of what would define something a masa mitzvah when it's not a masa mitzvah. How much during the right time does it get incorporated and how much if it's not the right time you need explicit kavana. Now the Gemara continues. Rav Zeir said to his attendant, um, Have kavana when you're blowing the shofar and blow for me. Now what's being added here in addition to the discussion of Mitzvah Shrikh's kavana, and presumably he's assuming that Mitzvah needs kavana, is that you need kavana lahotzi. If I am discharging you of your obligation, it's not enough that I'm intending that this blowing of a shofar be a mitzvah blowing of a shofar. In order for this blowing to connect to you and for you to be yotze, I have to intend to discharge, help discharge this obligation for you. I have to have kavana lahotzi. That was the phrase before. <coughs> but here specifically, it's not just for my own blowing. I have to make it a tekiah shofar for me. I have to have kavana to be motzi you. Okay? Right? You know, you get the kiddush, everybody's standing around, have kavana to be motzi me, right? Everybody mm-hmm. says that, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't you just hear and say amen? Well, is it because they're passing mitzvah kavana? But he has kavana to be doing kiddush. No, but you assume that it doesn't connect to me unless I say, have kavana to be motzi me. Okay? And that's this sugya. Well, that's so, oh, good question. Let's take a look. The Gemara is going to discuss it. Excellent. <laughs> so the Gemara says, Alma kasavar, so you see he's of the opinion, mashmiya by kavana, the one who causes it to be heard needs kavana, and again, specifically, not just Tam Kavana, but Kavana to be Motsi somebody. Mesve, I'll ask you on this. There you go, David. You could have written the Gemara. So you happen to have overheard the shofar or the Megillah. If you had intent, you do the obligation, and it's not you did not fulfill. So the Gemara says, Who cares that you had intent? Hey, Chaych, the other guy, he didn't have intent. He, was, he, just, he didn't realize you were behind the shoal in the neighboring house. So the Gemara says, No. Um, he didn't have intent for you, for your, for your intent. 
So it says, Hacha b'shliach tzibar afkida. No, here we're talking about the guy who's doing it. I mean, it makes sense to the Beit Knesset is the guy who is the representative of the congregation, which doesn't necessarily mean that the mockery of the Megillah has to be the guy that's out in Shachris, or the Baltokeah has to be the Baal Musaf. But presumably it means that if you're in the position to do it for the Tzibor, right, a Shaliach of the Tzibor, you are doing it for the sake of the Tzibor, his intent is for anybody that hears, right? He doesn't think about exactly how many people are here, which are the people, and he doesn't even think so narrowly as everybody in show. He knows he's doing it for other people, so he has a blanket intent that anybody who needs to be Yose with this, I'm being Motsi. Alright? So, um, so therefore, that's why it works. Toshma, let's come and try again. Niskavin Shomea, Lo Niskavin Mashmiya. Niskavin Mashmiya, Lo Niskavin Shomea. Lo Yatsa, Aki Niskavin Shomea, Mashmiya. Right that we quoted yesterday. You need the intent both of the listener and of the, uh, of the one who makes the sound. Ketani Mashmiya, Dumya Du Shomea. So it describes the intent of the one blowing similar to the intent of the one hearing. The same way the requisite intent for the hearer is just to fulfill his own obligation. So presumably, the only requisite intent for the blower is for to, to do his obligation. Right? It doesn't distinguish between the intent. It says, you need intent to be for your mitzvah, but I need intent to be mostly you. No. It describes our intents equally. So presumably, even when I'm blowing it, my intent is just to be mozi me. And even so, that suffices. Ziktani lo yatsa. And we, this is a little counterfactual. And it says that if you don't have that intent, you're not yotze. But the implication is, as soon as you intend to be yotze, you're yotze, even if you don't have intent to be mozi somebody else. So you understand the question? It speaks about the listener and the blower having intent, and it describes it as the same type of intent. It doesn't introduce this new idea that you need intent to be mostly someone. That's a new type and a different type of intent that's not being mentioned here. So the Gemara says, that's a pretty good proof. So the says, Tanayi, you know what? Good. You made a good point, but it's a debate of Tanayim. The time we turn one bright says, Shomea, Shomea, Asma, Mashmiya, Mashmiya, Lefi, Darko. So another bright says, the listener has to listen, only needs to listen for himself. The one who's blowing has to, somehow we're reading Mashmiya, Lefi, Darko, means not just for himself, but, the, but in his normal way, he's doing it that others hear, so his intent has to be for the sake that others can hear and that others can be Yotze. It's not so explicit there, but we're sort of acknowledging that there is that debate. The other bright that didn't sound that way, but yes, you do have to, we are saying there's another opinion that it's not enough to have intent to be Yotze, you ha- need intent to be Motsi someone. Um, I'm a Rev Yossi, said Rev Yossi. Uh, by the way, just so you know the right English word to use, because sometimes people say like, have, ha- you know, have intent to, f- to, to fulfill my obligation for me. I'm not fulfilling your obligation. Like, you know, I'm not the fulfill you're fulfilling I'm like mm-hmm. helping you discharge your obligation that's the way I frame it anyway okay so the word says like this I'm sorry oh I misread it so no Lefi Darko just means right I, I jumped, I'm sorry I jumped ahead so the first Mashmiya Lefi Darko just means normally you don't have to have special intent okay so the breaker says if you're blowing the shofar you don't need special intent you just blow I'm a Rabbi Yossi now Rabbi Yossi cl- clarifies this but what does that mean you don't need special intent? 
B'shliach Tzibur. If you are the Shliach Tzibur, so your Stam intent works. You just do it with Sidarko. You do it without thinking anything special because of course you're the Shliach Tzibur. You're doing it for other people to be outside. Avobiyachid. But if you're just an individual blowing the shofar, lo yatashi is kavin shomeo mashmiyah. There you need the special intent not just of the one who listens but the one who blows presumably meaning and he needs to be blowing for your sake. So while you're right, the earlier Bryce seem to say Shomea and Mashmiya in the same breath, here it's clear by making a distinction in Rabbi Yossi about the Shmiyach Tzibur and a normal person that there's a special idea of having Kavana to be Motzi you. So Shmiyach Tzibur, we assume it's the blanket Kavana, but a normal private individual, if you want to be Yotze through them, they have to have Kavana to be Motzi you. That would be now, more applicable to, say, to the Shabbos table when you've got six discreet people there around. Right. But well, you should have them specifically. Yeah, but you know, but I'll, but you know, somebody has, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know, you know, did you have bite me in mind? Like I was in the other room or whatever. I'll say, I haven't mind anybody who hears me and wants to be Yote. You know, I, that's just like my blanket Kavana, but often you're right. People don't think about that. They're thinking about the people in front of them. They weren't thinking about somebody that was behind the door and that they didn't, right. you know, didn't realize <coughs> what was there. So this is the added idea that you need Kavana Lahotzi. Now, here's an interesting thought experiment. Do, can you pass in both like Rava that Mrs. Aintrich is Kavana and that you need Kavana Lahotzi? Right? Because the Gemara had a whole long discussion of Rava, of Mitzvah St. Trichus Kavana, which was the way the whole previous Amud ended. And now we're having a whole discussion that if you want to fulfill your obligation, hear somebody to hear the shofar, he needs Kavana to be most to you. So presumably the answer is it's possible to hold both of those things. If I'm doing the Mitzvah object, I'm taking the Lulav without any special Kavana, I still physically took the Lulav. Check, mm-hmm. I get credit. If I blew the shofar without Kavana to do a Mitzvah, but I was, you know, but I was realizing I was making sounds, I did the act. Check, I got credit. But here the problem is, you're not doing the act. This other guy is doing the act. What makes this your act? So there, in order to make it your act, he has to have intent to connect that act to you. And you might have that act intent to connect to him too, right? So, you know, so that becomes an issue about, now that, now again, maybe that's a little different if you're the hearer, because we're focusing on the one that's making it heard. Um, and the whole break there before about walking behind the big Knesset did not, we did not discuss that that was different because you were hearing it as opposed to doing it. But certainly, to create that link, I might need special intent to be mostly used. So it's a different question. One is you're doing the act, you did the physical act, do you get, does it count if you didn't have special kavana? And Rava says yes. The other question is, you didn't do the physical act. Somebody else did it. What allows that to count as yours, that might require that that person is having kavana to be emotes to you. Without that, it's just random sound. It's not, it does not become your act. And now the question is how we rule. We certainly rule that to you, if you want to be emotes somebody, you need kavana to be emotes them. Um, how about if you're doing the mitzvah act and we say mitzvah shrich is kavana or not is a major debate in the Rishonim and the Poskim uh, we generally tend to rule that for Doraisas we assume it's just need kavana and for Dorabanans we assume that Bidiyeva they don't although again it's an issue of major debate yes though what I, what I don't remember I'm not holding on it's like what are the parameters the limits for example okay you'll be mostly me in Kriyat Megillah or the Shofar right you'll be mostly me you're going to shake your love no so basically the idea of being able to be mostly some and we're going to revisit this again a little bit at the end is limited to auditory mitzvot so brachos 
um, and uh, Mikra Megillah, Tzikiyah Shofar. Um, so, uh, well, Kiyotzkor is a seabor, is a seabor sort of type of a, of a ritual of, of, it's not a, it's not, it's not an individual chiyuv. Um, you know, the question becomes things like Kriyat Shema or Tefillah, even in some of those more, uh, more mitzvot that have this auditory component, they might be, might require that it sort of be coming from you, initiated from you rather than initiated from the outside. There's a Yushalmi about that. But the basic discussion of being mosi somebody are things that are basically auditory and by it's sort of if the tree falls in the forest and no one hears it doesn't make a sound you know listening is, is a part of that creating of that sound that there's a receiver to that sound and becomes connects to that act of that of the of the of the of the sound or of the words that were produced so that's the principle of it's shomea ka'ona is the principle so it's really limited to auditory things now I do want to say though conceptually it is different to say it by something that's about words as opposed to something that's about, um, like something that's about an action that is auditory, but it involves physical objects. So, for example, it's one thing to say that if you say a bracha, and I heard the bracha, it's like I said the bracha. Those were the words. I heard them. I assented to them. So I connect to those words. It's like I said those words. But if you say here, I heard those sounds, it's one thing to say I connect to the sounds. But is it like I blew the shofar, like I put a shofar to my lips? and blew a shofar because I heard those sounds. So as we've been discussing by shofar, there's a question whether it's hearing or, or, or blowing. One argument that it's about hearing and not blowing is it's hard to understand how listening to da 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 makes it like I took a, a ram's horn and put it to my lips. But we have something like that by reading the Megillah, right? The idea of reading the Megillah is not to say the words of the Megillah, it's to read, to have a physical Megillah in front of you and to read the words off of the scroll. So you heard those words. So it's like you said by Hebe Me'achash but is it like you read by Hebe Me'achash off of a scroll? So it is a little bit unclear, you know, how they all get put in the same category. But the basic discussions of Shomea Ka'one is by things that are auditory. Yes, but that's what I'm saying, that normally Shomea Ka'one starts with things that don't involve physical objects. starts with things that are just about words, about Tzilah and Brachot. We then wind up, right, yeah. talking about Kriyat Megillah and Kriyat Shofar. But the, the common denominators, they're all auditory. Is there a machlokit about what the wording of the bracha is for reading the Megillah? Um, um, might be exactly to this no, no, no. The Megillah Gemara is clear. It's about Kriyat Megillah. The um, the issue is about Kiyat so I, I, far. Whether it's about Kiyat or Shmi'ah. Uh-huh. Um, okay, let's take a look now. Next Mishnah. Now, Vayakasher Yerim Moshe. Now, the Mishnah ends this parak with a little agadata based on this whole idea of kavana. And although we had a discussion earlier whether kavana means kavana to do the mitzvah or kavana to do the act. It's clear that this Mishnah, at least agatically, but probably also because it was the Pshat of the previous Mishnah, is assuming that the key is Kavanah to do the mitzvah, not to stop, to realize you're making sounds rather than cleaning out your shofar. So let's take a look. Okay, so when he lifted up his hands, he saw was victorious. Do the hands of Moshe, is that what made the war? Is that what destroyed the war? Is that what, 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 what effect did his hands have? What type of magic was this? Ella, there's a Pirche song based on this mission, right? Does anybody know this? What is it? Okay. 
that when they would look and see Moshe's uplifted hands they'd look towards the heavens and they'd think about God and they'd subjugate themselves to God so therefore and therefore God would help them win and be victorious and if they would not you know, be looking towards God they would, uh, they would fall in battle Yosef is over Atomir. Similarly, you say another thing that looks to be magical. A Seilachas Saraf, a Simotol Nays, make for you a fiery serpent and put it on a banner. Anybody who's bitten will look at it and live. Can the snake bring death or the snake bring life? Pretty funny, the snake did bring death into the world. Okay? You wonder if they are alluding to that. Anyway, Ella. They, when they look up to the, to the banner and they see, they think about God, and if not, they would waste away. Now, obviously, this is doing two things. Number one is, it is talking about the religious significance, not the halachic significance, the religious significance of kavana. Before we describe that you need kavana if you're walking down the shul to be yotze, and here we're making the broader point that, you know, the, there's an important religious impact that is affected by an act when it's accompanied by kavana. Then it's not just some technical act, then it actually connects you to God and has, takes on religious significance. Okay, so number one, kavana really matters from a religious plane, beyond its meaning in terms of a halachic um, consideration. The other thing, of course, that it's doing is taking things which are like somewhat, you know, magical and do somewhat sort of seem, if anything, you know, could be read the opposite. Could be read like, yeah, sometimes there's just certain magic things that you do, technical things that you do, and poof, it works. Right? You lift up your hands, you look at a snake, you look at whatever, you know, so it's, uh, it's uh, and they're reframing it that that's not what it was really about. It was really about this as a means of getting you, you know, to think about God. So sort of de-magicifying, I don't know, <laughs> you know, these stories, which A, might have been the opposite <coughs> message of Kavana, and even forgetting the Kavana discussion, could have been a harmful religious message. Like, you know, these are troubling stories that it seems like there's just these types of things that somehow magically have this type of an impact. You know, and the whole part of the Torah is to sort of wipe out that whole area of, like, magic and necromancy and incantation, and it's all about, you know, you and God and mitzvahs. So this is how, therefore, these, it's being, so these are being reframed. Okay, whether it's Peshat and the Psukim is a much bigger question. Okay, so now it goes on. There's no Gemara on that, by the way. Okay, so now we get back to Halacha. All right, so just like this. Oh, that's true. Chayr is short of the Katan. Ein Motinas Rab Yidei Chavosan. A deaf mute, a shoteh, uh, which is somebody that is like not of their right mind, um, somebody who's you know, it's it's more like um, somebody like uh, insane or you know doesn't really understand reality as much um, as well. Maybe insane is the wrong term also, but anyway, um, but anyway, but somebody that doesn't you know, it, it doesn't really understand reality. You know, is not like linked to to uh, to a, a, an anchoring in reality. Uh, and there's a whole discussion which we'll get to in another mesechet about how to define that. The Katan and a minor, all these people are not considered to be Bardat, because Cherish is a big issue, you know, um, which has a whole modern history to 
what went uh, sign language for the deaf, etc. Then the whole category of cherish got got sort of reconsidered. But anyway, these were the three that in the time of, that were assumed to be not benayim, not bardas, cut them from a formalist perspective. And they cannot have discharge the masses their obligation. They cannot be the ones to blow shofar. Zechal, this is the principle. If you're not obligated, you cannot be, be the one to help the tzibur discharge its obligation. So this frames the idea of blowing the shofar for someone, like we described earlier, as being motzi that person. And that led to the earlier discussion about kavana. Let's yeah, take a look. I think at, it's yeah. striking that women are not in that list. Yes, it yeah. is striking. Um, and the Gemara is going to sort of quote a bright and sort of assume that, but it is quite fascinating that it's not explicitly there. So let's take a look. Everybody is obligated. So, all different sort of levels of society, converts and freed slaves. The Tumtum van Droganis. And a tumtum is somebody whose genitalia are covered up, so you don't know whether he's male or female. And an androgynous is someone who has both male and female primary genitalia. Um, and somebody that's half slave and half free, because all of these, there's an element of them, right? The tumtum might be male. I mean, this, as opposed to what those said, is going to assume, as we'll see in a minute, that a female is exempt. But a tumtum might be a male. An androgynous also might halakhically be categorized as male. And even somebody half free and half Slave has a part of him which is a free person which is obligated. Tumtum A tumtum cannot do blow the shofar for um, for someone just like him, for another tumtum, and not for somebody who's not like him, meaning somebody who clearly is a male. Why can't a tumtum blow for another tumtum? Because the one who's blowing might be a female, and the one who's listening might be a male, and therefore it will not work. Androgynous and androgynous, motius can blow the shofar for another androgynous, but not for a non-androgynous, meaning a male. Why? Because androgynous, there are three possibilities of how to classify an androgynous. What are the three possibilities? Male, female, and some other. Yeah. Male, female, and other. Yeah. So if he's male, but that's not about this individual person. A tumtum, his genitalia is covered up, but it's, what exactly a tumtum is, is different from person to person. Depends what his physical reality is, his anatomical reality is. By an androgynous, it's a question of classification. All androgynouses will share the same classification. We just have to figure out what that classification is. So either they're all males, then he could be mostly another one, or they're all females. So a woman isn't obligated, and if she and and, and in terms of like the kiyu mitzvah, a woman could blow for a woman, but not for a man. And if it's an other, for whatever the other is, can blow. You know, this third category, you can be motzi somebody at the same level as yourself. So therefore, since they're all classified in the same way, one can be motzi another, but cannot be motzi a man. Okay. Now again, by the way, go back to your point. It's implicit here that a woman isn't good, which is why we have all these issues around tumtum and androgynous. But even here, it's not even stated explicitly. So that is quite fascinating. Okay, so the Gemara says like this. Amar now let's unpack this. Pita, obviously. If these aren't obligated, who else would be obligated? You always start with assuming like the men are obligated. So why do you have to tell me Kohen Levi Yisrael? Obviously it could be rhetorical flourish, but let's see what the Gemara says. Um, no. You have to tell me that Kohen are obligated. I would have thought since it says, I would have thought to say, hold the Kasif since it says, they have blasts you should have. The Lay say 
People that are only have one day of blast, Yom, they have, for them there's a mitzvah in Rosh Hashanah. Um, they're involved in, you know, blasts the whole year. You shall blow the trumpet on your, on your burnt offering. So there's a, they, you know, they do this as a regular part of the base of Mikdash. So maybe there's nothing that they, you know, have to do a special blast on Rosh Hashanah. Maybe they should be obligated. Kamash Malan, they are. Someone says, Me dummy, how can you compare them? Hasim Chatzotos, the Hacha Shofar. There's a trumpet, here's a shofar. Why would I think just because they do trumpet blasts that that somehow gets them out of shofar blasts? Ella Itzra. Okay, here's why you need to tell it. I mean, I would have thought to say, oh, it's not since we teach in a Mishnah, that, remember, we taught this earlier, that on Rosh, we learn out the blasts of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah from the Tsukim about blasting the shofar on the Yovel. Mm-hmm. And therefore, we have the same number of blasts and the same type of blasts on Rosh Hashanah and on Yovel, the same brachot, and so on. But the key here is we learn shofar blasts from Yovel. Okay, and I would have thought to say, If you're in the midst of Yovel, you're in the midst of Rosh Hashanah. So, honey, Kanim, these Kanim, Hovel, Lesnim, the midst of Yovel, they're not fully in the Yovel halachas. Um, non. Now, um, so I'll just end the thought and then we'll unpack how they're not in the Yovel halachas. I would have thought that since Kanim, there's some Yovel halachas relating to land that don't apply to Kohanim, as we're about to see. So, if they're not fully part of Yovel, maybe therefore they, they're, they're not fully, you know, they're, they're not obligated in the Kiyas Shofar and they, of Yovel, and if they're not obligated in the Kiyas Shofar of Yovel, they're not obligated in the Kiyas Shofar of Rosh Hashanah, so that's why I might have thought to exempt them. Of course, it's a little funny, why? Because they don't have some of the misses of land that get them out of the Kiyas Shofar, even of Yovel, let alone of Rosh Hashanah. But that's the structure of the argument, so let's see what the Gemara says. Nah, we talk in the Mishnah. Konim the Levim, Konim and Levim, Mochim la'olam, the Galim la'olam. Can sell at all times and redeem at all times. Now, what does that mean, they can sell at all times and redeem at all times? Because the basic halacha is the following, is that, you know, if you sell a house from a walled city, you have... Okay, so here, if you sell a plot of land, okay, you cannot buy it until it, for, for two years. You cannot buy it then. You can only start to be go it, redeem it after you know after two years has passed. The opposite is true is if you sell a house. Okay, here's your house. Okay, for the first year you can be goel. You can only redeem it the first year. Afterwards you cannot. Okay, so that's a normal halacha. Kohanim are mochim la'olam, mochim la'olam, relevant, but they are go'alim la'olam. They can redeem it within the first two years. They don't have that restriction. Okay? And they can also go'al olam. They can redeem the house after the first year. They don't have that restriction. Everybody else, is, everybody everybody else has various restrictions. You have to wait here two years, and here you only have one year to do it. Now, that's not really relevant to the laws of the Yolo. I mean, to some degree, it's linked, but it's not so relevant. So, Rashi, so Tosos prefers a year, so Rashi has both yourselves of Mekadshin Le'olam, the Goalim Le'olam. What does Mekadshin Le'olam, Makdishin Le'olam, or Makdishin Le'olam, Goalim Le'olam mean? If you sanctify your field, okay, and you don't redeem it by the time the Yovel runs a lot, comes about, what happens to the field? Anybody know? It's a Pasuk. Okay, no, what? It goes to the Kohanim, excellent. So if you don't redeem your, if you don't redeem your field by the time of the Yovel, the field goes to the Kohanim. If, however, you're a lady or a Kohen, and you didn't redeem your field, you, even after the Yovel, you still have an option to redeem it. 
So that's goalim la'olam. By, in the hektish case. There, really, you're exempt from the Yovel laws. The Yovel, for a normal person, would have assigned that field to the Kohanim. For you, you are still have the right to buy it back even after. So you're exempt from that aspect of the Yovel laws. So since they have that exemption, I would have thought, let's keep on reading, maybe they wouldn't be obligated in the Mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. Very funny thing to go from that little exemption. Anyway, Kamash Mulan, not that way, because that's a tiny little exemption and it doesn't have those implications. Bottom line is, we don't learn too much from Koning Levium. The Israeli probably is more of a rhetorical flourish. Yes? Olam uh, sometimes refers to until Yovel. Yeah, and the Sukim, not here. Here it's in contrast, Yovel. Yeah. But that's a good point. Okay. That's the half and half. You cannot be Motsi, your fellow slave, your fellow person that's half and half, and certainly not a, you know, a normal free male. Okay? Now, um, I'm not, why can't I be mostly somebody that's half and half if I'm half and half because part of my chauffeur blow is not a full tkiyah mitzvah it's a tkiyah that was generated by a person that's half a bar and half not so it's not it's a sort of uh, it's gray it's not you know it's not a full tkiyah mitzvah and you even if you're half and half but the part of you that's a bar it's funny what that means the part of you but anyway the, but, the, the, but you need to hear a full tkiyah mitzvah and this is a this is a a, a not full tkiyah mitzvah so Amarav Huna Ulaatmo Motsi you can be Motsi yourself so Amalei Rav Nachman so Rav Nachman said back said to Rav Huna Rav Huna Maishan Lachem why can't a half and half be Motsi another half and half the low Asitzad Abdus Mafkitzad Cheres the part of that Tzkiah or of the person that is a slave cannot be Motsi the part of the other person that is a free person so the same would be true even if you want to be Yosei with your own blood so you're still generating a Tkiah which is half good and half not good so the part of your the part of you that is an Eved cannot create a, a Tkiah to be Motsi the part of you that is a free person you're not even Motsi yourself. Okay, so that's like fascinating discussions. What the Gemara imagines in the sky is half and half and so on. Um, I have to tell you that the Minchas Chinuch, who's like, um, wrote this, you know, extensive commentary on the Sefer Chinuch, um, and it's great because he has all these interesting, like, questions and he raises all these interesting hypotheticals and he tries to discuss the exact parameters of the mitzvah. He, like, is in love with Chetzi Ever Chetzi Ben like every single mitzvah says what would be the Allah in this case if a chati or a chati ben would do it you know so, so uh, trying to sort of figure out this weird case of this mixture it also reminds me of the story since we're also talking about um, like an androgynous you know this uh, uh, this Rosh Hashiva comes in to a, a, you're visiting a yeshiva he says what is everybody learning he's learning Kiddushin so he says okay can an androgynous be be Mikadesh himself so everybody, everybody was thinking, I don't know, is there a mice in Athena? Because you're just, you know, you're giving it to yourself. Is that really an act of Kiddushin? And then he says, of, of course not. He's his sister. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, all right. So there's your, like, your, one of your half and half types of things. All right. So now the conversation goes like this. Tani Ava Braid Razera. All of the blessings. Here we go. You can be moti somebody in a bracha, even though you also fulfilled your obligation. Okay? So let's say a good example would be like, you know, a case where a bracha is actually a mitzvah, like, uh, like a bracha of, um, let's say, of Kiddush, for example. Chutz, 
Mibirchas Halechem Ubirchas Ayayin. Except for, like, Birchas Anenin. Hamotzi, Baratriya Gefen, Hutsiim Lo Yatsa Motzi. If you haven't made your own Birchas Anenin, then you can make it and be Yotzi for yourself and for somebody else. In Yatsa, but if you've already made your Bracha of Hamotzi, ain't a Motzi, you cannot miss Motzi and Motzi. Anyway, you made your Birchas Anenin, you can't make it again for someone else. The Birchas Anenin starts with the fact that it's not a, a mitzvah that you're doing for somebody, but it's something that is coming to relate to the food you're about to benefit from, and if that's not a reality for you, then you cannot, you know, just do it for the sake of somebody else. Okay, by a mitzvah, you know, I'm helping you do a mitzvah. That's how we frame it. So, it's not like I'm making a blessing or whatever. No, I'm helping, you know, that I somehow am not entitled to make. No, I'm helping you. I'm making the bracha for you. But a birchaz is rooted in my deriving benefit. Me, the one who's saying it, has to actually be deriving benefit. So, I cannot do it for you if I'm not deriving benefit. So the Gemara says, Boy, Rabbi. So now we have a question. What about when Birchas Hanenim becomes part of a Birchas HaMitzvah? Okay, Birchas HaLechem Shel Matzah. The Baruch HaMotzi Lechemina Aretz that you make on Matzah. Okay, Birchas HaYayin Shel Kiddush Hayom. And Baruch HaGevin that you make on Kiddush. Mahu, what do we say? Do we say, Kivan Dechovahu, since you have to eat Matzah and you have to make Kiddush, Mafik, so therefore I can make it for you. So I've already made Kiddush for myself and you come in. And you say, make Kiddush for me, right? So can I say, you know, Bar Priya Gefen, together with the, you know, you know, Mikadesh HaShabbat? Or do we say, so we say, on the one hand, the whole Kiddush is an obligation, so I'm really making, doing the, the mitzvah bracha for you. Oh, the Amar Bracha Lavchovahi. The Berichas part is not an obligation. Now, what does it mean the Berichas part is not an obligation? Rashi just says, in general, Berichas is not an obligation, meaning if we don't frame it as a mitzvah, we say when you want to derive benefit, and it's anchored in the reality of deriving benefit. So even, therefore, when it's attached to this Bracha, it's not like you're doing a mitzvah for somebody when you do it, but no, it's still fundamentally is a birchas You could say it a little sharper, which is, and this will shock you, you could make Kiddush without saying Boratriya Gesen, and without saying Hamotzi Lachaminaz. I don't mean you could make it on bread. How? Let's say you're drinking wine before it gets dark, okay? And then it becomes dark, it becomes Shabbos. Like this happens sometimes when Purim is on a Friday, okay? So you're drinking wine, you made a Boratriya Gesen, so the halacha is, if you remember from Sachin, Poris Mapel Makadesh. So you put a, a, a cloth over the Hamotzi of the bread, and you say Kiddush. You know where your Kiddush starts with? It doesn't start with Boratriya Gesen. It says with Hashem Bachabah, whatever the bracha is. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it starts with the second bracha. Um, because you don't need a birchas anenin, because you've already made a Baruch Yagesen. Right? Similarly, let's say, I don't know, you'd have to think of what the scenario is, because you're not allowed to eat matzah or Pesach, you know, after, you know, whatever. But in theory, if you had already made a hamotzi, let's say, ah, let's say, for example, the Gemara talks about, you know, matzah that was made by, like, non-Jews and so on that you don't use to the yotze your mitzvah with. Mm-hmm. Let's say you'd already made a hamotzi on that matzah. So when you got up to eating matzah, you wouldn't have to say hamotzi. You would just say alachilat matzah. So even the bracha there is not technically necessary for that mitzvah. It's just necessary because you're deriving benefit. But in theory, if you've already made the birchas hanenin, you wouldn't even need it as part of kiddush, right? So that's so you understand that, right? That's uh, for us. That's like shocking. We assume no kiddush starts with barbi yagavim. No, but the barbi is just because you're going to drink. If you had a way that you had made barbi before, you wouldn't need it as part of your kiddush. Right. So you, yeah. Could you go? How did you read that last line in, in, in the previous Amud Rosera? What do you mean? Even if you've already made the bracha for yourself, you could be mostly somebody else. 
So you already said Kiddush. You can make Kiddush for somebody else. Okay. All right? Yes. Okay. So anyway, but what do you do about Birch Zanenin that's incorporated into a mitzvah? What do we say? Tarshma coming here. Da'amar Ravashi, ki avinim be'er of puppy. When I was in the house of Ravashi, havi mak mekadish lan. He would make Kiddush for us. And when his sharecropper came from the field, he made Kiddush for him. Now, how do you know? Maybe he just made, he maybe started after Bar Priyagefen. But since he didn't distinguish, right, and presumably maybe also the sharecropper wanted to drink from the wine, so he, the sharecropper needed to hear Bar Priyagefen, so we're assuming it means that he made even the Bar Priyagefen. So we actually say that it does become incorporated in, and you can even say the Bar Priyagefen for somebody else after you've made Kiddush. And that's what we do. Okay. By the way, kids multiple times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But even the Bar Priyagefen part, even though normally that's a Birchas Hanenin. By the way, I'll tell you an interesting. Uh, what do you call it? An interesting halacha, which is when you're making like the Bar Priyagefen if you're a Masada Kiddushin before the Birchas Erisin, right? Or even the Birchas Nisuin, but then it's normally somebody else who's making the Bar Priyagefen, because there uh, the Gemara never mentions that the Birchas Erisin is done on wine. It's a later minhag. And actually the halacha is if you don't have wine, you just go ahead and do it anyway. It's a, it, it's a gaonic minhag, but it's a later minhag. So here, if I'm making bar piyagefen, here's another question. When I make bar piyagefen for you, I've already made kiddush. I'm making bar piyagefen for you now because, and you know, and the second bracha, then you don't need to, um, then I don't need to drink because so that's the whole point because I, it's being framed as a birchas ha-mitzvah that's why I'm allowed to make it so I don't need to drink but if you're having the birchas erisin and I'm saying bar piyagefen then if that's a later addition to the birchas erisin it was never packaged together how could I be making a birchas hananin without getting hana so a trick that misadri kiddushin do that are, are aware of this problem I mean it's debated some want to say in the end it, it does get incorporated but anyway is that you get a little wine on your fingers and then after you hand the up over to drink them you just like lick your finger <laughs> so but that's but when it gets packaged now by the way also not to be confused is the Barbie I guess and we make Shabbos day if you make Barbie I guess and somebody comes and says oh I didn't hear Kiddush could you make Kiddush for me Barbiagevin and Shabbos Day is really totally just Birchas Anenin. Right. The Kiddush and Shabbos Day is really because there's an idea to have your Seuda with wine. Mm-hmm. So therefore there's no like mitzvah aspect of saying that bracha. I mean there's a mitzvah of Kiddush as opposed to Friday night. So you cannot make a Barbiagevin for somebody if you've already made it for yourself on Shabbos Day. Okay, Tanner of Anan, I rather thought, what? Funny, but I know. Yeah, I know. So don't break bread for the guests unless you're eating with them, which means don't be the one that's making the bracha, hamotzi, here's a straight derchananen, unless you're also getting benefit. But you can make hamotzi for your kids and members of your household, which might mean your wife, um, in order to train them in mitzvot. So you can make a bracha even if you're not being yotze and even a birchas hananin if it's done for the sake of chinuch. Very important, right? So there you are, you're trying to train your kid to daven or whatever. Can you be saying the brachas or do you have to say bracha Hashem every time? Right? You say bracha Hashem, it's not exactly helping him or her learn the bracha that they have to learn. So for the sake of chinuch, you can say the bracha full even if you're not, you know, you're not being yotze yourself or it's not in the category of yatsamotzi and so on. It's a birch hasanani and etc. But halal and megillah, 
Ela, which are those things, even though, you know, even if you said it once, you can do it again and be motzi somebody, and you can make the bracha again for somebody by those. If, even though you've read the Megillah, you can go ahead and make the bracha again for a person. We normally say to the person, if they're able to, you make the bracha yourself, I'll read the Megillah, but if they're not able to, you go ahead and you make the bracha, and we say, Yes. Yes, on Shabbos morning. Yeah, but that's because you wanted to, so that's a good point, I should clarify. I meant you're still sitting at the same meal and somebody comes, then you can't. But if you go home, the barbecue I get when you made in show doesn't count if you want to drink wine now that you're home. It's a different... I mean, even if you just wanted to drink wine, you'd have to make another bar of guessing. So that's why you make it again when you go home. Right. Yeah, that's an important point to clarify. I meant you're sitting at your meal, you made bar of guessing, and then somebody new comes over. Like, technically, okay. like, you make a bar of guessing and have kiddush, and have kiddush, you should make a bracha achrona, and that meal's over, you go home. Right. 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 Okay, let's move on. Yom Tov, Shadun Lachru Ubeisim, fourth and final parent. Yom Tov, Shabbat Shoshana, Shachali Yom Tov, falls out on Shabbos. Now, by the way, why did I have to say, I have to just comment on this, Yom Tov Shabbat Shoshana. Why didn't I just say Rosh Hashanah Shachali Yom Shabbos? But if you're talking about Sukkot or Pesach, you have to say Yom Tov to distinguish it from Cholom Oed. But Rosh Hashanah is only a Yom Tov. Why didn't you just say Rosh Hashanah Shachali Yom Shabbos? So it could just be that it is just using a parallel language that it would use by Rosh Hashanah, by Sukkot and Pesach. I um, mean, it really doesn't mean anything. But I also think it's possible that it is alluding back to the first Mishnah. There are four Rosh Hashanah Heim, Arba Rosh Hashanah Heim. So we're not talking about those other ones. We're talking about the Yantav Shah Rosh Hashanah. But again, I want to point out how much this Nesechet has managed to, and I don't know what the explanation of this, but in my mind, downplay the central importance of, like, Rosh Hashanah. It starts off by saying Arba Rosh Hashanah Heim. doesn't give any, like, big focus on the fact that this is a Yantav. You know, it's just, okay, it's Rosh Hashanah, Lishmitim, Liyovlim, or whatever. It doesn't sort of, you don't get a sense it's a Yantav. The next Mishnah doesn't say, on oh, Rosh Hashanah is a Yom Hadin. No. You know, Arba Prochim B'Shanah Olam Nidon. You know, this is one of the four times. It, but you have to look at a sense of the Yantav. This is one of four times your Nidon. Then we get into a whole thing about Kiddush HaChodesh, which starts in the middle of the first parak, goes through the second, even gets into the third. So Kiddush HaChodesh completely spreads itself, tentacles out, and dominates. Even the third parak, which is where in which it finally is talking about Rosh Hashanah, starts with Kiddush HaChodesh. Then you get to the mission by Shofar, and it doesn't even mention Rosh Hashanah again. It just says, you know, Kola Shofar Tsksherim. So the first, like, real focus on Rosh Hashanah as a Yantav is, like, this Mishnah. So I don't know what to make of it exactly, but it's pretty amazing how much, you know, Rosh Hashanah as a Yantav um, is sort of downplayed in this Masechah. Okay? So um, the first mention that you have that you blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, by the way, was in passing in the, mission, in the previous Mishnah. It said, um, you know, it said like this, Shofar Mekatsev Achatzot, oh, so where is it? Um, right? So it took a w- long time, so we start sort of focusing on it. So anyway. Right. But you adopt the thing that that's why Chazal might want to heighten its role as such, you know, to give it that identity that we have now given it. So again, I do, but I, I agree. I think that that's fascinating. Okay. So now it goes like this. So the Rosh Hashanah falls out on Shabbos. The Mikdash Hayutokim, they'd still blow the shofar in the base of Mikdash, not outside the base of Mikdash. What does outside mean? It could even mean outside the base of Mikdash proper. Even in Yerushalayim, they wouldn't blow. Although later it's going to sound like it's going to say they did blow in Yerushalayim. So let's interpret it to mean that outside of Yerushalayim, they would not blow. 
Mishachar Beis Hamikdash. Once the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, he's going to Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zakkai. Rabbi Yochanan Ben Zakkai established you talking b'chol makom sheish bo beisin. They wouldn't only do it in in the or. or, or or they wouldn't do it in the Mikdash because there was no Mikdash, but nevertheless they would continue the practice wherever there was a Beit Din. Now often we are inclined to say that that's like Zechur Mikdash, right? To remember what they did in the Beit Mikdash, we'll continue it in the Beit Din. But notice that the mission does not say Zechur Mikdash. okay? Mm-hmm. He's continuing the practice without a Beit Mikdash. It's not necessarily being framed as Zechur Mikdash, and we're going to revisit that when we get to the story in the Gemara. Okay, so our Rabbi Eliezer, Elazar, Rabbi Eliezer said, "Lo isim Rabbi Yochanan Zakei Lebiyav Nebuvad." No, no, no. He didn't do it in any basin. I mean, that would be all over. He only did it in Yavne, which was like the central basin, um, and where the center of Judaism moved after the Korban Abayas. So Amulo, they said back to him, "Echad Yavne, echad Kol Makom Sheishpo Basin." Whether Yavne or any place that there was a basin. So. Um, um, the Odzos, Haisi Yerushalayim Yisera Al Yavne, and additionally, Yerushalayim was greater than Yavne in the following way. Now, what do you mean additionally? So far, we're saying it's the same, right? Yavne, they would blow. Everybody reads Yavne, they would blow, and they'd blow Yerushalayim on Shabbos. So the Gemara will discuss what the Vaod means. But anyway, in the following way, Yerushalayim was greater than Yavne. Shakol Yeshu Roev Shoma'at the Krov of Yeholavo, any city that was in the environs of Yerushalayim, that, was, that could see Yerushalayim and could hear, I mean, you hear the chauffeur blowing all the way from outside Yerushalayim, and was close enough that they could come from the, from the neighboring city, they would blow in those cities as well. But in Yavne, they would only do it in the immediate presence of the Beitim. So even if they continued it in Yavne, maybe in other Batidin, it would not be the same as Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim, it sort of reached out to all of the environs would allow it to be blown on Shabbat. Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. So we don't even know why there's a problem of blowing it on Shabbat. Let's look at the Gemara. Minani Mili, where do you get this idea from that there should be a problem of blowing the shofar on Shabbat? I'm a lady Balach Mamma Rebi Khamer Bachanina, Kosovakadomer, one verse says, Shabson Zikhran Trua, a day of rest, a remembrance of blasts. So obviously it can mean blasts are for a remembrance of us to God, but here the Gemara is going to read it as it's a day that we remember the blasts, but we don't hear the blasts. The Kosovakadomer, the other verse says, Yom Trua, a day of actual blasts, Yelachem. Lokasha, how do you reconcile it? It's not difficult. It depends if it, whether it's on a weekday or on Shabbos. On Shabbos, it's only a remembrance of the blasts, and that's why Amarava Rava says back, if really biblically you're not supposed to blow the shofar on Shabbos, um, he, how do we blow it in, in the base of Mikdash? Clearly, if we're doing it in the base of Mikdash, it's some rabbinic problem that we're waving in the base of Mikdash. Because if it's a biblical issue, even if it's not, let's say, a violation of Shabbos or Yantas, but if it's a biblical idea not to blow, then we shouldn't be blowing in the base of Mikdash either. So the ode, halav malachi, and number two, why should it be a problem blowing a shofar in terms of a violation problem? Um, it's not a malacha, that you need a verse to pro- prohibit it. The Tana of the Bay of Shmuel, because as the Shmuel teaches, um, do not do any malacha of labor, So, but it's malacha. This excludes blowing of a shofar and sort of peeling the bread that's been cooking off of the wall, off the sides of the oven. It's a skill. It's a highly, you know, technical, professional skill, but it's not actually, does not actually fall in the category of a malacha. It is not actually a creative labor. So therefore, if it's not prohibited, why would we not be able to do it on Shabbos? 
El Amar Rava, rather Rava says, Nidaraisa Mishra Shari. Biblically, you really could blow Shofar and Rosh Hashanah on Shabbos. For Abadon who's a Gazer Bay, and the rabbis made Xera, the Amar Rava, like Rava says, the Amar Rava, the same statement of Rava to explain multiple places we see that you would not do things on Shabbos, Shofar, Lulav, and Megillah. So Rava says, Everybody is obligated, but not, it's not so easy to blow the shofar. Not everybody knows how to do it. And if you were to do it on Shabbos, you would take your shofar and you'd go carry it to somebody who knows how to do it. And you would forget the fact that it's Shabbos and you'd wind up carrying it for Amot in Rishat HaRabim and violate Shabbat. And therefore, that's the same reason why you don't do Lulav on Shabbos and you don't do Megillah on Shabbos. We're afraid it's going to lead to carrying. And we don't have that concern in the Beit HaMikdash because as we know, you know, there often we do not have certain rabbinic concerns um, in the Beit HaMikdash. Two points about this, um, and then we'll pick up with this tomorrow, but two final points is, number one is, the Yushalmi does not reject this reason that the Gemara started with. The Yushalmi seems to understand that it really is biblical, that there's a different status of Rosh Hashanah on Shabbat than Rosh Hashanah during the weekday. That's point number one, that it actually buys into that biblical distinction. Um, and um, point number two is... I forgot what I was going to say now. Um... What was I going to say? Uh, I don't know. Okay, so we'll end with that. Yeah, pick up tomorrow. Yes.